White Sox, White Sox, go, 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 go. Call your sons, call your daughters. Holy cow. You can't put it on the board. Yes. Yes. It's a perfect game. Right after, grand slam. A White Sox winner and a world championship. Jimenez, he's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. The dynamic duo of Herb Lawrence and Chris Tannehill. Those two are like a tag team, you know. Come with me to Southside of Chicago. Hi, this is Jim Tomey, and the best White Sox talk is on Locked On Sox Podcast with Tanny and Herb. Hello, and welcome back to Locked On Sox. My name is Herb Lawrence. With me, as always, is Chris Tannehill. How are you doing today, Chris? Oh, happy Tuesday to everyone out there. Uh, it's Mailbag Monday, part two. We call it Talk to Us Tuesday. Uh, we're trying to stretch these out a little bit and uh, give you some more content for your day-to-day life about the White Sox here because we guys know you're crazy about the Sox. So we'll try to give you as many episodes as we can during the week. And if we can give you a couple episodes from the mailbag because a lot of you guys had some spirited emails. And whenever a manager is hired, that's going to have an uptick in the emails as well. So why not stretch it out into two episodes? So that's what we're doing here today. And it's episode number 60. Eight. And who doggy? Uh, again, the 70s cannot come fast enough. Guys who wore the number 68 for the White Sox in their career. You know, I, I try to pride myself on knowing a lot about the 1993 White Sox. That was like the team that made me fall in love with baseball and with the White Sox. But they had a, a something known as a, a Doug Lindsay in 1993 who went two in two games. He had one plate appearance for the White Sox and, uh, and no hit. He didn't do anything. Uh, so that, that was Doug Lindsay in 1993, wore the 68. Um, you know what? Let's just, you know, for shits and giggles here, let's see what he did. Uh, let's check out Doug Lindsay's game log. I, let's So you can hear some some that guy names uh, <laughs> from, from 1993. Okay, so he actually, okay, here we go. Um, so he came over from the Phillies late in the year. Uh, his first game was at the California Angels, September twenty first, nineteen ninety three. Uh, looking at it here, the Sox lost eight to nothing. It was a, t- a typical West Coast game for the White Sox, even in that era. Um, <laughs> Alex Fernandez took the loss that day. Uh, Chris Howard and Scott Ruffcorn uh, finished out the ball game for the Sox. John Farrell got the win for the Angels that day. That's right, John Farrell. For the Angels that night, these are the California Angels uh, for all you youngsters out there. Uh, you had Luis Polonia on that lineup, Chad Curtis, <laughs> Jim Edmonds, Chili Davis, Rene Gonzalez, Greg Myers, J.T. Snow, Tori Lavulo, and uh, and Rod Correa uh, also in that lineup. Uh, and let's see what uh, what Doug Lindsay did in this particular ball game. That's right, we're really going to get down to it here uh, and uh, tell you about the fine career of uh, Doug Lindsay. Um, he was a catcher, okay, so that helped. So Doug Lindsay in this game against the here against the Angels, he replaced Carco uh, in the bottom of the eighth inning and didn't get in at bat. <laughs> so he was a defensive replacement uh, in that game. So yeah, it was not not a big career for old for old Doug Lindsay. He did get in at bat uh, against the Indians on October second, a game which the White Sox did win, uh, of course. Uh, 
a uh, powered by a strong outing from Wilson Alvarez and a, and a big bull t- big time bullpen effort that day. Uh, Jeff Schwartz, Chuck Carey, Jose De Leon, Chris Howard, and Brian Drahman all finishing out the game behind Wilson Alvarez that day. So not a compelling case for Doug Lindsay. Uh, Eric Threets, I have no idea what that is. Uh, Jake, well, before we move on, <laughs> do 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 people give? rings for division champions because the White Sox won the AL West that you know it's AL West yeah AL yeah, West that yep. year and the I was there Phillies I wasn't won the NL West which he was on both of those teams oh, that year. Oh look at you the big like did he get a I know we might have got a National League Championship ring <laughs> for his two games he pitched for or he got caught for the Phillies and then the two games he caught for the White Sox does he get like uh, two rings there. Is he like just sitting at home? It's like you know, I'm a champion, guys. I won the NL Central or NL East, and then we won the National League. Even though I was only on the team uh, May 1st and May 5th. <laughs> yeah, look at the big brain on Bert there. Uh, being a part of two <laughs> division winners in a season. How many times has that happened? I wish I had my own Chris Kamka here in my basement to figure that well, out. <laughs> I think the great Darren Jackson might have had a claim to that. I forgot what team he was on initially, but he went to the. I know he got a ring from the Blue Jays, from the Blow Jays in like '92. Right. But I forgot what other team he went to, so it might have been was, the Padres. Oh, so I think he was a academic. I, think, I believe he was a Padre in uh, in 1992. Yeah, you, you're. Uh, yeah, I don't think so, but okay. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Darren. Yeah, he's fine. Try to get you extra ring. Darren's not worried about it. Um, 2010, Eric Threets, um, <laughs> Jake Petritska, or award in uh, in 2013, one year only for the number 68. Uh, Minnesota Sc- Finest. Yeah, Scott Snodgrass, <laughs> one of one of the great last names in White Sox history uh blake smith in 2016 i have no idea what a blake smith is uh i try not to remember 2016 it's a major appliance actually it's blaine smith sorry. okay appreciate you and uh unfortunately here the most recent in uh three seasons dylan covey or the number 68 <laughs> Hey, but look on the bright side. Next episode, we enter the 70s. Um, He pitched a lot. He did. He really did. Um, He had many chances. He was terrible, too. Um, Dylan, remember he outdueled Chris Sale. Uh, that was his big. That was his big night uh, on the South Side after Chris Sale came back uh, with with the Red Sox. He outdueled him. I think it was a two to one or one to nothing victory, and that was as good as it got uh, for for Dylan Covey, who was still- no, it got really good. Remember, I was. I remember I was in the middle of. I think it was 2018 or 2019. This some bitch was out there dealing, and I was like. Um, when did Dylan Covey get good? And everyone's like, <laughs> Dylan Covey's always been good. <laughs> Dylan Where Covey hipsters. <laughs> Where have you been? I'm serious. It was like people were like looking at me sideways. And I suggest like, is Dylan Covey good? They're like, hmm, ridiculous. He's always been good. He just put it all together now. Okay. But it was it had to be 2019 because he had a stretch where Everybody was like, oh, shit, Dylan Covey, we might got something in here. And then he turned into himself after that. I, f- I remember this vividly. What was it? Let's see. It was 2000. It had to be 2018 because 2019 was all, always terrible. Consistently terrible in 2019. 
Yeah, he's another one of those guys that's an avatar for the bad, you know, rebuild years. Uh, had many opportunities. Signed with the Tampa Bay Rays uh, in the 2020 offseason and then ultimately traded in the division. Uh, that's how much they thought of Dylan Covey in Tampa Bay. He was traded from the Rays to the Red Sox uh, in before the season even started. So I don't think he'll be getting an American League championship ring uh, because he was never on the team uh, after the season started. So tough break for Dylan Covey there. But uh, nonetheless, uh, that's who the episode will be named after. Uh, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. if we're, but we're almost we're done with the 60s. That's all I care about. That deserves a celebration uh, in itself. But uh, yeah, and his, his White Sox career, not a good one. Uh, but let's open up the bag, shall we? Enough of this. Let's do it. A lot of emails. We're going to try to get to some. There's another email. I love email. And we love email, too. We love your emails in particular. How can they get us an email, Herb? Email us at LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. That is LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Questions, comments, whatever you want to send us. We read them all. Not all of them make it to our Mailbag Monday or Talkback Tuesday segments. Talkback Tuesday segments. Absolutely. So we had a lot of Tony LaRusso centric emails uh, in, in yesterday's episode, and there are some more, there's more to come. People are still still scratching their heads about this and trying to pick apart all this stuff. Like I, I wish he would have just been named the manager like in March, <laughs> so we wouldn't have to like we would just we'd think about it the whole off season. Uh, but yeah, it was funny. You know, speaking of managers, AJ Hinch had his press conference last Friday. And he said that uh, White Sox reached out but never interviewed him. Uh, that was just very frustrating to hear. And a lot of people are like saying, oh, yeah, watch out for the Tigers with A.J. Hinch at the helm. Like, you got to miss me with all that bullshit, man. Like, they're still they're still deep in their rebuild. And, yes, they've got some, some nice pieces. They've got a couple number one picks. But as we know all too well, it takes more than just having a, a few number one picks on your roster to all of a sudden be – you know, please take us seriously. They're one injury away from, like, you know, Casey Mize injury from having their whole season just be worthless. So, be, yeah, miss me with all that. The Tigers are right on the White Sox heels nonsense. Yeah, and we ate versus the Tigers, too. So, yeah. we're good. We're real good. Bring on Matthew Boyd and all that garbage they got over there. And A.J. Hinch and all his numbers. His, he can know one number. Whooping that ass <laughs> by more runs than he has on his team. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Okay. We have Eloy Jimenez here. Beep, boop, boop, beep, 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 boop, 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 <laughs> Oh, okay. Uh, don't throw him a fastball. And pitcher throws him a fastball, and then all of a sudden it's long gone. So and we'll see how good those numbers do you when you have that Tigers roster. Um, all right. First question here. Uh, technically not the first. We, the, you know, this is all from the same batch of emails. But uh, Sam from Hinsdale, for, you know, a longtime guy checking in here. Um, he's got some questions about prospects. And out of the top thirty White Sox prospects, who would we consider the most untouchable slash expendable to get a potential deal done? Uh, he says some of the guys on his list would be Andrew Vaughn. Uh, Mike Rodolfo, et cetera, versus someone like Blake Rutherford, Jake Berger, Sebi Zavala, et cetera. Uh, what are our personal untouchables for prospect lists? And I would get it started by just saying this quickly. Uh, there are no untouchables the way I see it. Absolutely not. Um, let's see. The one guy that I would use as trade bait to get somebody else uh, that's on the current top 30 White Sox prospects. I love him, but where's Andrew Vaughn going to play next year? Like, Jose Hebreu's here for the next two years at least, and yeah, 
we have a designated hitter spot open, but do you really want a young hitter to start as a designated hitter? He can't really play third, and that's already occupied already. But I know people want to take somebody like Mike Rodolfo and turn him into somebody who's a major league ready player. But Mike Rodolfo is not that, so why would you get that in return? And I don't even think Michael will ever be that. So to get something, you have to trade something. And if we're looking for a deal for a right fielder, top line starter, if we strike out with the top, the guys out in the free agent market, you have to get your top prospects out there and available to move. And since this guy and Andrew Vaughn will be blocked for the foreseeable future, it's not a bad idea to see if you can get somebody else to give them your top, their right fielder who's playing well, might be on the end of her contract. Look at the A's or the Rays the teams that don't like to pay their, their prospects they bring up. And maybe they're looking for a refreshing of their, of their young talent. And so they're looking to move a guy that's on the precipice of being good and getting a lot of money in free agency. Yeah. And Andrew Vaughn will be that perfect guy. Uh, I would love to keep him. Because yeah. everybody says bat plays, so that would be my one guy that I would say, if we're gonna do it, let's do it right. Yeah, I, I hear that. Um, you know, I think Andrew Vaughn. I should you know re re retract uh, my statement. He, he's he's the closest to an untouchable, but again, I'd have to see a deal on the table, man, because they're in the window right now. You can't have. You can't be infatuated with prospects anymore. As much as I love what I saw from Garrett Crochet and think maybe he could be a big time piece of the bullpen now, you know, show me a package that that he's part of and show me what you're getting, and I'll and I'll be listening. Uh, you know, none of the guys on this list, including Michael Kopech, by the way, are are known commodities except maybe Nick Madrigal. You know what he is at this point, and you know it doesn't make sense to trade him. You know, uh, unless you have a top-tier free agent that can replace him. I don't think you'll, your your team will be suffering because you don't have Nick Madrigal, but if you roll him into a deal with some other guys to you know sweeten the pot a little bit, I'd be willing to part with him too. But I don't think you know he's – I think he's worth more to this team than he is to someone else. So, yeah, I still don't think there's any real untouchables, Andrew Vaughn being the closest in that list, especially considering I think he'll be the DH – uh, in 2021. So yeah, I don't see any untouchables, but I hope they get a chance to have spring training because I saw Mike Rodolfo with photos of him working out and I would love to see him blossom into someone that could challenge for a right field spot or just wind up somewhere on someone else's club as part of a trade because, you know, it's a guy that you know certainly rooting for, but uh, for the most part this year, uh, been pretty underwhelming and never got a chance to find his way on a big league roster. So, yeah, man, not, not many untouchables when you're in your window, man. You, there's a lot of tough – you think you can win a World Series without making a tough decision about one of these young, talented players? They may have to, to pluck from guys that are on the current roster if, if there's a deal to be made and, and you're at the all star break and all of a sudden you realize you have a realistic shot at winning a world series i mean the cubs had to make that tough chapman trade and they gave up you know uh an all-world guy in glabar torres so these are would they make that deal again yes 10 times out of 10 so Mm -hmm. you you just have to make sure you make the right deal and you know i think the cubs have some regret over the uh the eloy jimenez deal obviously but no regrets over that or chapman trade uh without a doubt so 
yeah, thank you, Sam, as always, for checking in. But uh, you have to be very careful about guys who you call untouchables because you're in your championship window now. Uh, next one here from Dan in Georgia. If Larusa tells TA and others not to bat flip, do you see a team mutiny in spring training? I could see this being a shit show from the start. Thank you, Dan. Uh, taking the other side of the Tony Larusa stance here. Uh, the Talk to us Tuesday edition of Locked on a White Sox. All right. Uh, mutiny. I can't handle another mutiny with a Chicago-related Jerry Reinsdorf <laughs> team, man. I can't. I can't deal with it. I don't think this is going to be a thing. Do you? I'm just going to answer the question as he posed it. I think that yeah, Tim is not going to care about what a 76-year-old man says to him. He is not his boss. He does not sign his checks, and he'll use it as fuel. He probably would love for his manager to be like, "Hey, don't bat flip." What's he going to do? Sit him out? We gonna put in Yomer. Yomer's in Baltimore now, so kiss my ass now. How about that? I'm 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 bat flipping every time. Hey Eloy, button up at that shirt. We play baseball here. We button up all, all our buttons except for the top one. And you think Eloy's gonna be like that, or is he gonna be his Eloy swaggy self? Come on, man. You can't you can't police grown men and what they want to do. Now, if he wants to say something about their fielding their footwork at bat, something like that, cool. That's within your purview. But no, sir, no, sir. You can't be coming on this team and telling them how they do them, how they have the culture around the club. I think that's only a recipe for disaster for Tony Russa. And hopefully Kenny and Rick and others tell him as much that these guys, let them be them. You do your baseball things and hit fungos and, get the fundamentals right, get PFPs right. But otherwise, let the players be swaggy. Let the players be their their original fun selves. So I, I don't think there will be a mutiny because I think that they'll just not listen to him and Tony will just pout to himself. Look, man, Tony the Russo is a Hall of Famer, and he knows better than anyone how tough it is to have clubhouse chemistry uh, in a winning atmosphere. He's going to go in there the first day of spring training, and he's going to see, hopefully, this is what I want to see from the White Sox before Tony La Russa. I want to see a team that still remains themselves and true to their identity and has a lot of fun and is is energetic, and but also a team with a chip on their shoulder after losing in the postseason in 2020. So I hope that they have – I hope Tony La Russa doesn't have to do a damn thing in, in that regard to get them into gear because I, I think they should have a bitter taste in their mouth because they should have advanced in that postseason and who knows what happens after that. You know, you look at the, what Randy or Rosarena did in the playoffs this year, like like look at it right there as a guy who just had an all-world type of postseason. And that could be anyone, but you have to be in the dance in order for something like that to happen to you. So I think Tony knows – how tough it is to curate clubhouse chemistry. And if, if you comes in a situation to a team that won 35 games in 2020 in a 60-game season, he's not going to want to do much to mess that up because obviously there were some things going on that were right. So I don't think he wants to, to make any tweaks to that. He doesn't seem like an egomaniac in that regard where he's going to try to uh, impose his personality on the team because I, th- I don't think we can say that Tony La Russa has a personality in terms of, 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 of his baseball avatar unless it's, you know, bullpenning the shit out of games and making games like a little tough to watch at times. But ultimately, you know, we had Paul Konerko on the show the other day on the Danny Parkin show and he said of Tony La Russa, he loves the move, by the way, he said Tony La Russa wakes up 
And the first thing he thinks of is how can I win a baseball game today? And I'm sure that's just, you could call that a platitude and every manager wants to win a game. But I, I believe that you don't get to the hall of fame by not trying to find every possible edge you can. And I don't think he would detract from one of the positive things that this team has going for it. But yeah, if, if we're just going by Dan's question here, if that happens, um, I think you will see a little bit of pushback because this team knows that this is not the manager they had envisioned. Like I, I would love to hear from Dallas Keuchel here. Like I think they thought they were getting a, a current manager, but you know, uh, man, this is just such a, a tricky situation. But I, I think about the guys that are in that clubhouse that maybe would have had the same reaction to if AJ Hinch was brought in. You know, some of these veterans that that were around when the, when the Astros were were doing their thing, cheating their asses off. Like, how do they feel about that? Like, I'm sure there's guys that still hold grudges and and they wouldn't be able to take that man seriously if he was in there. I'm not saying that's an overwhelming majority, but just you think about personalities and you'd have to have guys that look at your manager sideways and you have to be skeptical. I'm skeptical of AJ Hinch's success. Like, yeah, he's a world champion and he won two pendants, but you 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 wonder how much of that was legit or not. So, yeah, man, just in in long and short of it, I don't think that's going to be a problem with with Larusa. I don't think that you're going to see, you know, unless someone's dogging it out there, like unless someone has a moment like like Johan dogs it, uh, you know, uh, a, a single which could have been a double. Like you may have a problem there. It's always going to be effort related. I don't think it's going to be style related. So, uh, thank I hope you. So. Yeah, thank you, Dan, for the email. Uh, next one coming up here. Uh, good to hear from our guy, our guy Pete Han checking in. Hello, my name is Mister Han. Pete's got a few thoughts here. He said he was watching the World Series and he couldn't wait for it to be over because now hot stove season can begin. He wants us to talk him off the ledge because Pete has a fear. Uh, that the team will repeat the Machado fiasco with Trevor Bauer. After that happens, I see them bringing back Jose Quintana since he's a, quote, fan favorite. Why am I the only guy who wants the organization to forget and move on from those reminders of the lost and losing decade? His war may say one thing, but watching him tells a different story. Up 0-2 in the count, only to walk batters, gets the first two outs in an inning on five pitches, only to finish the inning with 25 pitches and a run or two surrendered, and then at 90, 100 pitches in the fourth or fifth inning. I wish fans would be forward thinking instead of backward looking. Oh, I love that. Get that on a shirt, Pete Hand, right now. Is that too much to ask? Thanks, Pete. Um, Pete's got some PTSD with uh, Manny Machado, as I think we all do, but I, I can't talk him off the ledge in terms of that philosophy. I'll, I'll start by saying this. You know, this is a second tier organization until they prove otherwise, and they're always going to be that team. They're not going to be able to compete with uh, the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Cubs or the Dodgers in terms of finances. So that's something I would think you're used to by now, Pete. I certainly am. Um, but the Bauer situation is a little different. It would be really unfortunate uh -huh. if he signs a one-year deal with someone else and it was just uh, you know a few million dollars separating him from coming here or going to uh, maybe even uh, the Twins or something like that. Like That would be really unfortunate. But I will say this, though. Um, there are several solid options out there if you don't get Trevor Bauer. Don't get me wrong. The the expectation should be go after the best and brightest, and Trevor Bauer is certainly high on top of that list. He's at the top of my list, but you know sometimes it just doesn't work out, as you had with the Zach Wheeler situation where you, you never really found out what happened there. They said his, his wife wanted to live on the East Coast, which I get. They said they offered him more money. You know They were quick to point that out after the fact. So there's a lot of factors here, but there are still – 
a, a few good options uh, that are that come right along if you don't get Trevor Bauer. So, Herb, what do you, what do you think about the whole Bauer situation and, and the Sox operating like a uh, like a second tier organization? I mean, as you said, they are a second tier organization, if not lower. Um, Trevor Bauer is going to be tough. A lot of teams are going to be going after Trevor Bauer's services. Firstly, because of his desire to short sign a short-term deal. Lots more teams are going to be in there, and this is on purpose for Trevor. He gets more of a market with shorter-term deal, and he gets a second bite of the apple because he won't be that old, much older when he does uh, end in this contract. So I think all the big teams are going to be other. He's a California kid. The Angels spend money like no other. Not The, the results are not there, but they need – starting pitchers so this is a chance for them to get a a guy that is a proven top rotation guy the dodgers are always looking for that guy so you can never count them out tanaka is going to be leaving the yankees so they need a replacement for him the yankees are going to be in there i mean it just goes on and on the cubs i don't know if they have money but john lester just left them so they're going to have some money out there that's why it's going to be hard for the White Sox assigned Trevor Bauer because all the big time teams have the need and the money. This is the only good part for the White Sox. It was pan- it was a pandemic. Those other teams can use the pandemic as an excuse. Hopefully for the White Sox, and I already start the rumblings on the Bulls side about all the money they lost this year, and we know that's a Jerry Reinsdorf own team. If they hire Tony La Russa. We talked about this on Monday's episode. You would think that they want to compliment him with great players so he doesn't fail at all. So this is a year where you can strike and say, okay, let's put all our chips in for this guy. And if we're going to do it for a guy, I would do it for Trevor Bauer, not for uh, George Springer, even though people love George Springer. I love him too. I would say getting a top rotation pitcher is more important to the White Sox than getting a top bat. I don't know if people agree with me on that, but that's how I feel about Trevor Bauer this year. There's 30 starts that can give the White Sox and the subsequent starts. The one he did in Atlanta this year where he went nine innings of uh, no, uh, no run ball and his team just didn't help him out offensively. That won't be the case with the White Sox. If he gives us nine no-run but baseball, we're going to win that game, and that's what I want for the playoffs. That's what I want during the regular season. Trevor Bauer on my team, and the White Sox need to go all out for him and just let him choose some other team. It's not going to be for a lack of trying. That's that Zach Wheeler thing that happened last year. It just seemed like, oh, yeah, we offered him the most money, and he chose another situation. That doesn't, that doesn't jive with me. It doesn't work. You as the recruiters are supposed to present the best case scenario. If you're offering the most money, then something else was missing. I don't care if his wife wants to be closer. In this, in this day and age, before the pandemic, plane flights are pretty easy. Like a flight from Philadelphia to, to the East Coast is what? To New York is like 30 minutes from Chicago to New York. It's like two hours. It's not that big of a difference. It's not a huge difference to get back there. That wouldn't be make or break. And if it was, then you need to figure out a way where you sweeten the pot for that deal. And you have to, you have to strike and you have to make him say, 
I didn't want to go to the White Sox. That was the last thing. Not the White Sox came up short with the offer. And that's I, that's my feeling this year. Like when the post on the offseason's over, everybody's signed. I feel proud and like happy that Kenny and Jerry and that Rick did all they can to secure this team for 2021 and beyond. And they've exhausted everything they can, not just, oh man, they just teams players just don't want to come here because that's not true anymore. It's a very desired place. And if you offer them market value or a little bit more, because you have to pay a White Sox tax, because we're still kind of the White Sox. We're still a second rate team. Got to pay them a little bit more than their, that other team. So try it. Try it out. Pay a team, pay a guy 5% more than what other teams are offering. See if it works out. If it doesn't, fuck them. Not yeah. just like $1 million more on a $100 million contract. That's it's negligible. That's where that surplus hopefully comes into the fold. Like you, you say, you got a financial surplus. Hopefully, you know, throw throw that extra money at Trevor Bauer. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I was going to ask you, would you rather have a swift move to pick up someone like Marcus Stroman or have something draw out through the offseason a little bit to maybe come down to spring training where, where you you sort of put all your, your eggs in the Trevor Bauer basket, then you come up short for whatever reason. Could Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's just because he wanted to be a New York Yankee above all, and the, he believes the, the Yankees' offense is better than the Sox' offense, and I like your angle there in terms of where would he want to go, someplace where he'd get some run support. I like that. But would you rather act swiftly and get a Marcus Stroman and know for sure that you solidified that number three spot in the rotation or possibly not shore it up like you maybe you thought you would because you strike out at Trevor Bauer at the zero hour? Rhyming. Ooh. Um, in that scenario, I would much rather get the sure top rotation guy in Marcus Stroman than wait and see what Trevor Bauer is going to do. Um, yeah, if if I can get a deal with uh, Marcus Stroman, I'm getting that deal with Marcus Stroman. Doesn't preclude you from getting the other guy. Oh no, they can literally him. get anyone. Like that's not like let's not. We're we, they people should know this. They can literally get any of the players that they want. They have enough. They have a lot of, money, have yes. a lot of money. But we just know that's not how they're going to operate because exactly. that, their house it's of so cards topples over. Yeah, and I think it's going to be one or the other with big time pitcher or big time bat type of thing, and then they're going to downshift on the other guy. Just. Just as I presented the scenario last year, I thought that Rick went to Jerry and said, Jerry, I need a top-line starter and a right fielder. And Jerry's like, choose. And so he he chose, and he got he tried to get Wheeler. Didn't work out. Downshifted and got Keiko, who had a better year than Wheeler. Probably not for the long term, but he got Keiko, and then he put a little bit of money into her in Edwin Encarnacion, and then Jerry's like, well, I mean, I know this didn't happen sequentially, but Jerry's like, well, you got your pitcher, you got your designated hitter. So with the uh, right fielder, you probably have to get creative. And he got creative and got Nomar Mazzara for a trade. So I think that's going to be the scenario this year. Choose. You want big-time hitter? You want big-time pitcher? The other one you'll have to supplement through trade or bring somebody up through the minors. I feel that in my heart. I don't know if it to be true, but I feel that's what's going on. 
Uh, speaking of right field, uh, you talk about Rick getting creative, quote unquote, with uh, Nomar Mazzara. That's like uh, when my daughter pulls out uh, my wife's makeup bag when when we're taking a nap and she just puts it all over her face. So that's like, the, the, oh, yeah, it's very creative, honey. Yeah, way to go. Um, please go wash that off. Like, that's what I think of in terms of <laughs> Rick Hahn's creative move to bring in Nomar Mazzara. Um, but yeah, uh, next one up here from Phil in Nashville, Tennessee, White Sox Cowboy. Um, he says, hey, guys, I saw that. Wait for it. Adam Eaton's option was declined by the oh. Nationals. Do y'all think he could be a valid, cheaper option in right? Herb, what say you about our guy, Adam Eaton? I mean. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw it. You, I was, that's I perfect. Mean, you, see, you see who our manager is now. Yes. This guy <laughs> would fit so perfectly into a Tony La Russa lineup. I mean, he's not good at baseball anymore. Well, this past year he wasn't good at baseball. He was 226, 285, and 384 um, for OPS plus of 76. Not good. Not the guy that we gave up for, Lucas Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, and Dane Dunney. I don't know if that guy exists anymore. The year before, he was just barely over the OPS plus uh, average of 100, and he was at 104. Um. He did help them win a World Series yeah. that year. I'd love to know why he had such a bad year. Like, we should dig deep into this because this is going to be a thing, I think. bag? Well, yeah, there's also that part of it. Like, those teammates didn't like him, apparently. I don't, you know, not going out there reporting. They never him. have. Yeah, so... You know, but sometimes you need those bags uh, in, in the clubhouse when you when you have a winning team. When you're losing, not so much. But when you have a winning team, like sometimes you need guys to rally against. But uh, speed guy, left-handed guy, elite glove, top of the order guy. You know, that's you know, it, it's not a bad move on paper. I just I would like to know why he had such a bad year and how bad of a guy was he? Because obviously he he wasn't bad enough where the Nationals like couldn't win a World Series with him. You know what I mean? So I would like to know if he was hurt. Or what happened there with him in 2020? Again, sometimes you just have to throw all this shit out the window in 2020. Guys just have a bad years because you know they're they're worried about other things. So he might have been hurt. He only played in he's always hurt. Of the 60 <laughs> games. <laughs> that's another that's another thing too. Always hurt. Uh, he'll be. Uh, I mean, Ozzy didn't like him. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, it'll be 32 on opening day. So I would maybe stay away from Adam Eaton. Uh, but if he's a guy that winds up on your team because things fall through and you and you can say you have Trevor Bauer plus Adam Eaton. I'd be cool with that. I'm I'm rolling with that. That's fine with me cuz you know he's going to bring the elite glove and you may need that more so than the bat, I would say. So I think at this point I would rather have Adam Engel playing more than Adam Eaton. Ooh. And I think you would have to pay Adam Engel Eaton. I mean Adam Eaton much more money than you would have to pay Adam Eaton or Adam Engel. Jesus Christ, uh, right now. So, yeah, I would I would not want him on the back of the White Sox at any cost. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I th- I'm good. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. I would explore other options first, uh, unless it's like getting down to the zero hour. You know what? Oh, man, that's a compelling argument for Adam Engel because we talked about how we, we can't say it all season and then all of a sudden like try to sit here and lobby for Adam Eaton to play. We can't say Adam Engel's going to be a guy if we don't have Nomar Mazzara or Adam Engel should have been starting every day. We can't sit here and say that or throughout the course of the season then sit here and try to campaign for Adam Eaton. Even during I mean, a, we said it during the season. Like if we strike out with right fielders, I will be fine. And I put those Depth is always good, right? It's always with, good to have with depth. With Mazzara, Engel, Platoon. 
fine. Yeah. Not thrilled. Just, ugh. All yeah. right. I guess so. Like, if we strike out on Springer and we strike out on Michael Brantley and every subsequent other Man. right fielder that's out there. It just, uh, it so just hit me. Is Zuna out there or do you take his money? And run. Oh, we still have to do the Marcelo Zuna episode. We will. We will. He's okay. he's um I didn't see what happened there, but I just had a thought here. Um what if uh what if George Springer goes to the Tigers? Hmm. I mean, good luck. You can only bat once, brother. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy yourself. Enjoy you yourself. Enjoy. <laughs> I hope you enjoy those solo home runs, brother. <laughs> oh god yeah but yeah so adam eaton yeah we're kind of lukewarm on that but uh, i guess that's a wait and see adam eaton has a consolation prize i won't i won't campaign for him even during an election week uh finally here i think uh finally here let's check uh um james and muskegon thank you for reaching out he was asking about coop uh we asked some other great emails from our guy big bear checking in for the first time but i think we already answered his question um, finally, wrapping it up here from our guy, Zach. Zach checks in. He, he says, howdy ho, amigos. Do the Sox stay in-house for DH next season? If so, who? It has to be Andrew Vaughn, right? I don't see why Eloy isn't the full-time DH. I love Eloy, but defensively, he looks like a dyslexic kangaroo kamikaze with three left feet. Oh, it's, you're offending a lot of people there. Uh, this team is better with Eloy at DH and a free agent in left field. Uh, Michael Brantley, Jackie Bradley Jr., George Springer, etc. Thanks for reading from Zach. Yeah, so we kind of answered the uh, the DH thing. I think my gut says it will be Andrew Vaughn because of the of I think the bats ready and I think the financials line up where they have to pay him next to nothing to be uh, to slot him every day at DH. So I think that's going to be the guy. In terms of uh, uh, Eloy at DH, well, I'll let you a- answer the Andrew Vaughn question. I think we already answered it, but if if gun to your head right now, do you think Andrew Vaughn's a DH in 2021? No, I think they go out and get some before we keep on going. Marcelo Zuna, yeah, only signed a one-year contract with the Braves, so okay. he is free. We'll get to that later <laughs> in different episodes when we're like actually asking for what we want. But I think the White Sox will go out and get a person that could do this DH job at least part time uh, in the free agent market. Uh, we had we said yesterday's episode that uh, Mitch Borland's available, a guy that would be a, a good DH for the White Sox from the left-handed side, knows how to do the job. That's one of the big things about me not wanting Andrew Vaughn to be the DH is because it takes a special type of person to be able to just hit and to be fine with the results and go back and just sulk if you uh, – struck out and now you have to wait eight hitters to get your next chance you can't make it up on the field it takes a special person to do that again boomstick is out there available 40 plus years old i'll take nelson cruz on my team more than any other yeah, player you know he'd finally have a shit year if the white Sox sign him you know that and you yeah. I, i'm i'm that's the only thing i'm 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 very hesitant about but he put up MVP numbers in the 60 game season again. I mean, I if we don't at least attempt to get some of these quality free agents, I know they're agent, they're old as hell. They're not and DHs who are free, that's the reason why they're free because usually they're older, longer than tooth, and they only do one thing. That's why the Edwin Encarnacion thing was so disappointing because the one job he had is to hit, and he couldn't do that. 
So he was a failure in our report card thing. I think Nelson Cruz, we signed him to a one-year deal with a player option or a team option for the second, like he did with Edwin Encarnacion. It it really doesn't hurt you. I go with that every day. And we got Nelson Cruz on our team, and we take away from the Minnesota Twins. I'm all for that. But uh, I don't want the kid, the young kid, Andrew Vaughn, to be that early in his career without really playing in the majors to just be the designated hitter. I think as the texter or the emailer was saying, Eloy is going to be a DH eventually in his life. I don't know when they're going to come to this realization. They're going to stop playing games. He's not going to do the Kyle Schwarber like you want him to do, uh, Chris. <laughs> I don't think he's ever going to do the Kyle Schwarber thing where he's a, a butcher in left field and then he becomes competent, if not above average, left fielder. Yeah, he just uh, just so frustrating. So frustrating. Absolutely. Um, lost my train of thought here. I wanted it to uh, – yeah. So, Andrew Vaughn, you, you, you talked me into it here. Um, yeah, the Nelson Cruz thing, there's no doubt in my mind, uh, you know, that I think he would fall off the table immediately if he was a White Sox. But I would, I, <laughs> all you have to do is be, ha, be decent. He doesn't have to be an MVP caliber player. You, all you need to do from every year on out, this, this you know, while you're in the window, you just have to have the guys you bring in. Just give me one good year, because you have one good year from a guy, and it props up this core. And all of a sudden, you, you're holding the World Series title at the end of the year. But I'm inclined now to try to try to to snatch up Nelson Cruz or anyone. If you if you would like Mitch Moreland, cool, that's fine. He plays a nice first base as well. I think you, you throw the kitchen sink at the Mets who are under new ownership. Package as many prospects as you can to get Syndergaard or DeGrom and try to see if you can mm-hmm. get you know, because you have these guys that you're they're they're a depreciating asset. You're 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 not gonna get anything for them when they walk in free agency and you're trying to maximize value of everything uh, when you're a new ownership group coming in. Now unless they go the other way and try to spend like crazy if you're a new ownership group, but I would I would sort of kick the tires uh, on a Mets trade. Uh, you, you saw some rumors about Syndergaard uh, last season, uh, but yeah, I would I would do that. I, w- I would I think that's what I would do if I'm if I'm Rick Hunt. That's my plan. I would try to throw all the prospects at the Mets to get one of those two guys. What do you think about that? Just you know, off the top of the head here. I love it. I love any type of creative way where we get top level talent on the White Sox. And we're only giving away people who are major league ready, not guys who are actually on the major league roster. So it's no Yoan is going. Well, no let's, let's Eloy's say that's going, let's say you had a- Andrew Vaughn, Michael Kopech, um, maybe Jared Kelly. You think that gets you Syndergaard? Probably won't get you to ground. You think that gets you Syndergaard, or is that too much? Is that overpaying for Syndergaard? I think that might be too much. I think you, you can get Syndergaard for less. You think you get Degrom for that package? I uh, maybe. I mean, new new Mets ownership. They just paid a lot of money. Maybe they're looking to relinquish some of this and start anew. And nothing will be better to get a young flyer baller and Michael Kopech. And then a young hitter in Andrew Vaughn, who's going to do nothing but hit when he goes up to a major league level. I don't know if they have a spot for him because I think he plays first base mostly. He can play some and third they've, base. They've got uh, yeah, they've also and, well, if they do, if they, they got Alonso there already. But yeah. maybe if they do DH in the American League, I mean the National League again, 
they can put him there, or I don't know who they have playing third base for them. And David Wright's dead or gone now. Um, but yeah, maybe he can convert over to third base. But yeah, if, if any way you put top level talent on the White Sox without subtracting too much of the major league talent, I'm all for. That's you know, I may wake up in the morning and be like, "What the hell was I thinking?" But like, the more I think about it, like you know, when, once you're in the window, man, you got to make tough decisions. Like I said earlier, yeah. so yeah, I mean, we'll wait and, and see. And uh, we caring about we're caring about winning in 2021 championship. I know Rick Hahn wants to win multiple championships. How about we win one first and then worry about the rest later? Because it's really hard to win multiple championships. Really, really hard. So yeah, sell out. Do what you need to do to win the 2021 championship. I say. Yeah, you have to. I mean, every, every year is sacred and nothing is guaranteed. So yeah, I totally agree. Like I would, if I had to set the over under on total world series, appearances not even like titles but uh, how many times are you in the world series i would set it at 0.5 and i would lean over but not much over like i would probably they probably make one world series you know what i mean like i don't have a lot of faith in them you know no one what the cubs did was so special you know and what the dodgers do is so special but they also spend money those teams you know with the Sox not spending money i don't see them it's it's not gonna be the white Sox invitational every year so you have to go for it every year especially in a year a transitional year like this with the finances like you have to be creative you know so yeah that that's that's all we got that wraps up the email i'm fired up now i want the i want the hot stove to get burning so. <laughs> you know so the agency is actually open right now yeah and unlike major league or nfl and nba where people are at people's door right when it starts and deals are already done and and agreed to in principle major league baseball is going to be slow especially this year with the pandemic with the no winter meetings, no GM meetings. So we're going to, we're on for a long slog, I think. Uh, yeah. Last year's November signing of Yasmani Grandal was a huge surprise because of how early it was in the free agent signing and also that the White Sox were in the contest to get him. So I hope we wake up one of these days and it's just. Well. Oh snap! We got this guy this early. Well, they jumped. They jumped the market. They had to. They paid the White Sox tax for Yasmani Grandal. So Perfect. hopefully they know who they are and they'll do it again. That's awesome. So that is Chris Tannehill. Follow him on Twitter at Chris Tannehill. I am Herb Lawrence. Actorwall twenty three is how you follow me on Twitter. The show is at Locked On Socks on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to participate in this Mailbag Monday or Talk Back Tuesday, whatever day we get to it, it is LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. You email us at LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Questions, comments, whatever you want to write us. We read them all, but not all of them make the show. Sorry for the people who didn't make the show. I know we haven't done one in a while since we did one yesterday. We did the second one just to accommodate all the people who sent in emails, but know that we've read them all we appreciate you send them in again not the maybe the same question but maybe a variation of the question you asked before so for chris Tannehill, my name is herb lawrence thank you for listening to this episode of locked on socks